Welcome to the Evolution Exchange podcast, bringing together the best technical leaders to talk about the industry passions and challenges they are facing. I'm Rachel Connolly from Evolution Recruitment Solutions, helping businesses to connect with top tech talent. And today I am your host. Today, we're going to be discussing the topic of implementing AI into your business in 2024. I am joined by Rich Hill from Iquilla, Martin Bokes from TCF Consulting, and Paul O'Neill from Tillett. Before we delve deeper into the topic, let's work our way around the room with some introductions. So Rich, would you like to kick us off? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So uh, I'm Rich Hill. I'm the CTO for Aquila. Uh, we build software-defined networks, which for those who don't know, think about cloud computing, but exactly the same thing for your network stack. So everything's virtualized. So instead of having physical switches, you have virtual switches. Um, we use AI ourselves for optimizing networks. I'm going to all details, that secret sauce, but that's how we use it. Thanks, Rich. Martin, welcome to you next. Hi there, I'm Martin Bates. I'm the Managing Director for Innate, um, but I've been involved in and working in automation and AI for a number of years now, um, right from client side, right the way through to, to um, consultancy. And that um, evolution of um, automation and, and back office tasks into the front office AI um, that we're seeing and generate a lot of noise at the moment in the, the media is, is something that really interests me. So looking forward to the podcast. Perfect. Thanks, Martin. And Paul, welcome to you. Hi, uh, I'm Paul O'Neill, co-founder and CTO at Tillet. Um, we're an investment uh, fund investment platform for retail investors in the UK. Um, so we work in financial services and obviously the, the risks of harm of AI in, in that domain is uh, different to perhaps just in a line of business stuff. Um, so we're thinking quite carefully about what the implications are for, for uh, what we can do with AI and what the risks are and how we mitigate them as part of uh, the product build as we go forward. Perfect. Thanks, everyone. Now that we're all introduced, let's move on to the topic in focus. So you all have a question or statement on implementing AI into your business in 2024. As usual, I'll work my way around the room, asking each of you to pose your question and the reasons behind it. Each of you will have the opportunity to give your take on the situation. So, Rich, we'll come to you first. The first question you wanted to ask was a pretty broad question in relation to how AI is accelerating at an incredible rate and what can we expect in the next year. Do you want to give us a little bit of context behind that? Yeah, sure. Um, first of all, I should find out it's a trick question because there is no right answer. Um, there's a lot of hype around AI, and rightly so, because well, we see what's happening with ChatGPT, you know, 100 million users in almost no time at all. Um, so I don't think it's possible to predict. Uh, and it's not just the technology itself, it's also what's happening commercially. We saw what happened recently uh, with Sam Altman when he left OpenAI and he also have Microsoft behind the scenes. Um, I think you kind of have to split into two categories. There's the tool itself. So um, recently there was a dev day for OpenAI, they announced their new chat GPT4 Turbo and enhancements to Dali free and how they're bringing down the costs for using the API. So I think the actual tools themselves uh, that we use for AI will accelerate um, and it's almost impossible to predict because they're not going to tell us. Um, so, but things I'd like to see on that side uh, are semantic memory. Right? So when I use ChatGPT, I can have a good session that's really, really good and I go back a week later and it's forgotten everything. Yeah, so I think that's going to come and I find it frustrating. Also, I mean, not for work, although partly, but I use Dali free just for creating images, sometimes just for you know, a, a blog post or something to create a nice image, um, and sometimes just messing around you know, with my daughter and stuff like that. Uh, one thing with Dali free at the moment is that it's, it's 
actually, it's brilliant. I love it. I can create really, really cool images. But if I want to put any words in there, like someone's name on a T-shirt or something like that, it's pretty much dyslexic. I mean, the number of times it misspells words is incredible. I think that's going to change. And I find that weird because normally computers are really good at that type of thing. Like, you know, if you say, repeat this word and put it into a different font or something, normal computer program is brilliant. But because Dali 3 is effectively dreaming up these images based on what we've done in the past or what it's in, it's, you know, it's, it's uh, machine learning. Um, yeah, it just can't do it for some reason. So I guess that will improve. But I think personally, the thing I like most is like semantic memory. Then the other side of it is how AI is used. And there's so much hype around API that everyone's going to be integrating. You know, there's an API that anyone can call and it's just going to be used everywhere because people think, oh, it's got AI, so it's better. And actually, a lot of time, it's not going to be better. Um, I had to set up an Eventbrite um, uh, demonstration yesterday, and it said, do you want to do this with AI? And I thought, well, why not? So I clicked on it. And it didn't really do anything that I hadn't already done. You know, I'd already created an image with Dali 3, and the image I'd created was better than the one it generated because I put in a longer prompt to describe in more detail what I wanted. Um, but yeah, I predict pretty much 90% of all products are going to have some sort of AI option next year, by the end of next year. Um, but I'm curious to know what no, uh, Martin and Paul think. Yeah, so so actually, Rich, I'll, I'll um, just jump, jumping in on that, if I may. Um, I think you're right. It is a trick question. Um, you know, none of us on this call can predict what's going to happen with the big AI companies that are that are funding a lot of this. You know, we just saw Google this week release their version. Um, you know, and that's we're going to we're going to have to wait and see. But immediately, as soon as it was launched, people were then posting to say that they were the video was fake. Um, or there were elements of it that were fake, they were spliced together. And, you know, until we start to really see those kind of products actually being used in production environments, um, we're not really going to see the, the true value. At the moment, it seems to just be an arms race um, to try and get the fastest or the next thing that excites people on social media, because that's driving up share price and, and interest. Um, I get that. And and I think we all do on this call as well. Um, but actually, over time, we'll st see that mature into production ready systems that are, you know, are some of the clients that we're working with can actually start to pick that up and use it in anger. Um, and I think the, the the really interesting release for me was with OpenAI, um, probably I think it was a month or so ago, um, released their version of Marketplace. Um, and that's starting to move away from kind of task-based um, uh, interests and, and, and kind of solutions into uh, a product or a process that can be used um, within um, a, a real live environment. And, and that that to me shows the kind of the the production ready environment that the clients really need. So most of my clients are really skeptical about putting AI into their organization for many reasons that I'm sure we can come on to later on in the podcast. But um, but right now they're testing it, they're playing with it. And, you know, it's images, it's it's fun. That's fine. But there is a grown up element to it that can really accelerate businesses. And I think everyone appreciates that. But they haven't quite got there just yet. And so um, my biggest prediction is is the um, the almost the production ready um, elements that move away from task based into a process based um, solutions that we'll be able to select from. 
And I think that's really exciting for organisations. I don't know about your thoughts, Paul. I think I'd agree with a lot of that. I was I want to circle back on one thing in a minute because I think that willingness of firms to adopt in with an open mind some of the some of the things that you can do with AI even over the past year that have come into to existence uh, contrasts quite a lot for me with the how people got burnt with RPA back when where you know robotic process automation is quite a fragile thing and it seemed like it was going to be able to obviate lots of technical debt because you've got these old systems that you can automate just by throwing a machine at it and now people are maybe coming to that with a with a fresher perspective. Um the the I think the AI extends beyond large language models and that's the thing that's had all the focus in the past year because Chat GPT is a year old. It was like November last year it went public I think and it has changed a lot in that time and everyone's familiarity with it just because you can talk to it uh talk to it um it makes it feel more impressive than some of the other ai techniques that have been longer standing um so it's not the only the only thing to use so i'm wondering do we see more domain specific models coming up that are less general purpose but are more capable because a lot of the time if you're having a conversation with chat gpt you get fuzzy fuzzy answers or things that just aren't specific enough Getting your own data into these models um, through RAG and other techniques, I think that's going to be something that really opens these things up. And just generally, it, it being built into more products. So we're going to start seeing it in, it's already in the Office Suite, see it in G Suite. Anyone who's got Grammarly installed is currently going to be using it, which means it's probably already in your org, even if you didn't actively put it there. Um, so that pervasive um, spread of at least generative AI feels like that's going to be fairly unstoppable but then the, the side effect of that i guess is i'm curious on what your thoughts are there's centralization around some of the bigger more exciting models so that you can run some of these things locally on the, the smaller parameter sets but your open ai's and your bards of the world there ain't many of them um and that's where all the research and resources is concentrated so what's the risk then of there only being two or three of these massive really easy to plug into APIs and what are the consequences for business. That's going to be a, an interesting one, I think. When we see our first massive open AI outage next year, for example, what breaks? And each year as we go on, is that more stuff that's breaking and more interesting stuff that's breaking? Perfect. Thanks, everyone. Um, Martin, we'll come to you next. One of the first questions you wanted to ask the panel uh, was around how leaders are championing AI. Um, do you want to give us a little bit of context behind that? Yeah, and actually, it's a it's a nice follow-on from Paul's point just then. You know, the the almost the fear and uncertainty and doubt around um, the, the the social media or the media's um, uh, view of AI and where it can help organisations against again going back to Paul's point, you know, domain-specific um, smaller. Um, elements of AI that can be bolted onto existing systems today that are really powerful, really helpful for organizations that are that are there to be used. And it comes under this huge banner of AI. Um, and, and those those elements where it's domain specific, we know will offer value. They're already they're already doing this for a number of organizations. But still the there's a from a leadership perspective, um, how do people how do people manage teams? How do they set their strategy against something that's really unknown um, beyond what they can see that's in existence today already? And and that's I think that's really hard for leaders of today's organisations across the client base to embrace 
and 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 really champion the AI um, model because there's so much uncertainty there that actually there isn't a blueprint for them to follow. There isn't a a way of embracing AI that makes more sense over another and and one that's industry specific. There are certain products that are known and that's fine and they are domain or, or industry specific, but um, how do they build that into a roadmap? How do they then understand the impact on people as well within their teams? Um, because a, a lot of what AI is really good at, certainly the low-level domain stuff, is is connecting different teams or different departments together and making that handover, that spaghetti of the middle of their organization, much easier to understand. Um, but that's that's stepping outside of the normal organization structure, and and potentially people fear that. Um, so I, I I've seen a lot of leaders, um, senior management really struggling to get that message across to their organization and really embrace it in the right way. And yet at the same time, the board and, and shareholders are expecting an AI roadmap or an AI strategy. Um, and they're getting that from the media. So it's a really it's a really mixed message for leaders to actually implement into their organization. And I'd, I'd love to hear from from um, Paul and Richard as to you know their views on on what they're seeing in the marketplace today. Oh, you go first. Go Richard, give my... Yeah, yeah, go for it. Okay, all right. Um, I agree. I think we need. Um, it's difficult, right? Because we still know what's going to happen. Um, so you need a scale, of, uh, a healthy skepticism. It sort of reminds me. I don't know if you ever used to watch Blackadder, but there's one uh, one episode where he's about to go off in a sort of Walter Wardy way to the New World. Uh, and he's presented with a map, and it's blank. And they say, can you please fill it in as you go around? You know, And it feels a little bit like that. Um, and I think that, you know, because it's such brand new technology, um, there's risk associated with it. You know, first of all, it doesn't always give you the right answer. And if your business is dependent on getting the right answer, that's a danger, right? because you, know, you can make a mistake. Um, we also don't know what the security risks are. There's something that came out yesterday for artists who are worried about their copyright being infringed because um, these big, uh, you know, big uh, companies are scraping lots and lots of images and they're taking their artwork without asking them permission or uh, paying them any royalties. So there's now like a, a poison tool that basically puts in invisible pixels so that it confuses uh, the models. So that they now see cats as dogs, whereas if we look at it, we just see dogs, right? Um, or, or cats, whatever. Um, so I think that's a real danger. Um, and we don't know what's going to happen, right? Because people will use it for bad as well as good. You know? So there might be, if you're writing code, it might be doing some backdoors in or something like that, you know? Um, and the answer to that is do what you normally do when you write code. You have all your normal sort of CRCD unit tests, all that type of stuff to try and make sure you have a lot of vulnerabilities. Um, I also think there's a danger that people just want AI because it's hip. You know, we need to have AI and we're going to use it irrespective of whether it's a good fit for our product or our company or our process. Um, so I'm not really sure what the answer is. I and mean, I think be careful. No, don't just rush in. Don't do it just for the sake of it. Um, and continually just assess what's going on. You know, um, I think there's a really good use case for AI right now, but there's somewhere people just put in for no reason. I also think Paul's what is really good. It's not just chat GPT, right? AI has been around for a long time and people haven't really been aware of it. Even if you look at your iPhone, it's got a facial recognition. Yeah, that is AI. But no one says, hey, this is AI. This is brilliant. Um, it's just part of how we use our phones. 
So I think there's lots of AI that is being used that people aren't aware of. And I think the difference with ChatGPT compared to other sort of like big new trends is that it's accessible, like anyone can use it, right? Whereas I know when blockchain suddenly came about and you know, it was shooting through uh, the sky in terms of uh, price and people started talking about NFTs. My mum has got no idea what an NFT is, right? And even if I sat down for half an hour and described it to her, she wouldn't know. But I can let her type something into ChatGPT and it'll create an image for her or, or whatever, right? So it's much more accessible to your average person in the street. Um, yeah, I'm not really sure what else to say, actually. I mean, that's kind of it. that last bit out. <laughs> I think there's, there's a lot in there that's... Uh, I agree with both of both of you in what you're saying. The the speed of innovation just in the past year, if you just look at large language models, um, if your planning cycle as a business is anything beyond six months, then by the time you've got a requirements document down or what you want to try with AI, the tech's moved on to the point that that's probably out of date. The capabilities you could shoot for are further ahead. So even just trying to keep up with that, I think it, it's almost, is it even that leaders should be leading on AI or should this be a case of empowering your team who are going to be closer to the coalface on these things and see the opportunities where AI can be employed? Is it empowering them to make good decisions within the space of tooling that you've got? So like, is it more a framework of how do we employ some of these techniques and services safely for you guys within guardrails to be able to try some stuff and see what works and what doesn't? Because a lot of the, the, the NFT points really interesting. That's the, Crypto's felt to me one of these things where it's more grift than anything else. Like it's it's a solution to the problem people don't necessarily have, and it's now starting to get a bit better. Whereas AI, similar levels of hype, but actually you can get something that feels plausibly useful very, very quickly at the other end. Whether it is useful is a different story. And I think that's the, the thing with LLMs in, in particular, is you get very convincing looking output, but it's still on you to validate it. It's still on you to make sure that it is answering the questions that you've got for your business so just bolting in some language model onto your data and going that call it a day uh isn't going to be enough so i think the the one thing we're looking at in general with Attila is if you have a black box that gives probabilistic answers so some of the time it ain't going to be right what can you do with that tool what problems is that applicable to do you even have problems that that's applicable to and people do um but it's i think to your point rich it's it's not just bash it in and hope for the best you, you do need to have a bit of a a bit of a think on is this a sensible use case for this rather than just using it for the sake of it i think the six month roadmap is really um really salient i saw something on twitter um about a startup that had was basically creating rappers for chat gpt so you could you know specialize in a certain area and then they announced gpt's that anyone could do it and they literally just killed the company so it's a great person who decides to create a, an ai company knowing that the biggest companies in the world are currently trying to um, innovate and are going to bring something out. You know, whenever you do a startup, there's always a, de- a danger that you are going to bring out a competitive product and they're much more you know, better funded and got more marks, et cetera. Um, but never more so than now, because we know that everyone is trying to bring out an AI tool. Yeah, and I don't, just, just building on that, actually, guys, if that's okay, the, one of the things that I've seen more recently is the... Um, the introduction of the the CAIO um, up to the, a board level, and uh, I can't remember where I read it, but there's twenty one percent of organisations are now looking to add that role in into the board. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I know that um, 
GE have done this, right, for GE Healthcare, and it kind of makes sense in terms of how they can accelerate their business and really bring value to their clients and to their and, and to their um, offerings. But I don't know whether other organizations are actually that far advanced in um, actually being able to set a roadmap. What would the CAIO do? How would they drive beyond a six-month roadmap, right? I mean, that's in, from my head, if I looked at that and someone asked me to come and do their job, that would be really difficult task to, to pick up to pick up um and, and i guess going back to your point actually rich um you know the the ability to keep agile and keep testing keep moving give it guide rails and, and keep testing that i think is is really valid um but um but yeah really i don't know have you guys seen that the rise of the caio or someone similar in in organizations not yet um but we're a little bit small um because we are scale up you know so we don't have 10 person boards or anything like that um so not yet um one thing that did occur as you're talking there is so i've got a friend who works for one of the large consulting firms won't mention them because that's not fair but you know half a million employees that type of thing um and they're planning their staff because they do do that you know years in advance and they're, they're planning for less people Right. And they don't know exactly how. They just know that AI is going to come in and they don't need less people. But that's about as fuzzy as it gets, or as detailed as it gets. But they know that they're going to be able to be more efficient through the use of AI. Um, and that's across everything, not just the technical, it's uh, you know, lawyers, marketing people, whatever. They just know that people are going to be more efficient, they're going to need less of them. It's a bit like um, when supermarkets brought in those automated checkouts and all of a sudden you can self-scan using the barcodes. And they now have one person with 10 checkouts rather than 10 people on each one. So that sort of planning is available. But the actual, hey, what are we going to build this year is actually very difficult. And like I say, you just, it's just continuous monitoring. You know, you just need to keep on top of it and make sure that you know what you're doing and know what changes so that you can react, I think. I think the idea of having someone in the C-suite that's dedicated to AI is, it, I think you're right, Martin, it feels very applicable to certain businesses very much not a general thing because a lot of the consequences as you alluded to earlier some of it's technical so if your product roadmap is going to be materially affected by including ai or your competitors including ai then that's a problem or at least a thing that you've got to start thinking about how do you how do you plan for that but a lot of the consequences are internal so how does it affect your recruitment pipeline? How does it affect your team's motivation? How does it affect data security? And even when you start thinking about, uh, Matt Levine had an article in the week um, about junior analysts being apt to be uh, supplemented by AI so they can, with LLM summarizing documents, they can do in hours what would have taken weeks of research. But the weeks of research is how they cut their teeth to become partners. And so if you skip that step, do you end up with this kind of skills gap and people retiring aging out of the firm that have knowledge and there's nothing to replace them because you're kind of so reliant on whatever you pulled in as tooling i think the the people and longer term strategic consequences there i don't think you're going to find one person that's got the technical head on and the hr head and thinking about the moral implications of what you know within your team what, how that's going to work it seems unlikely to have one person get all of that in their head at once. I think that's a good point as much as we can't really predict the future uh, with any certainty there's nobody knows AI that well, right? Because it's so brand new. I mean, you know, in the bigger uh, time span. Um, so really, all you're doing is hiring someone who's really smart, hopefully, and you're telling them to focus on it. But whereas I don't know, if you're taking cybersecurity, that's been around for decades, right? Um, AI hasn't been. So it's difficult. 
Yeah, it's difficult. Yeah, and actually, you raise a good point there, Rich, in, in terms that, you know, that, that person, whoever that may, might be within the organisation, also has to pick up on the new compliance or regulations that for a, around that surround AI that are as yet completely unknown. Um, you know, we've, we've seen the EU um, come up with its act and, and actually trying to implement that, but we actually don't know some of the repercussions of that just yet. We've seen the risk framework that they put in place. And do we have this kind of sliding scale of, well, actually, this is a high risk AI solution rather than a low risk and 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 therefore it can be implemented. You know, there's lots of lots of unanswered questions there for um, organizations to go through. Um, and for that to sit on the shoulders of one person, that's a that's a that's a tall ask, I think, um, right now. Um uh, hence the reason I'll raise it. But uh anyway, back to back to you, Rachel. Sorry. No, no problem. Thanks everyone for your input on that one. Um Paul, one of, welcome to you next. One of the first uh, questions that you wanted to ask was the differences around AI-based functionality uh, between customers and businesses. Um, do you just want to give us a little bit of context behind that one, first of all? Yeah. Uh, so we, obviously, one of the things that people think of when they think of AI is things around process automation or summarization, anything that's line of business that you can see quite clearly that's going to speed me up it's a tool it's an assistant um and then there's another side which is when we start exposing these things to the general public for chatbots or for uh search engines whether summarizing search results or whatever else and the difference uh, uh and especially I'm, I'm kind of worried about it concerned in general from a financial domain but there's others is the level of credulity between people who see plausible look am I allowed to swear on this one plausible looking bullshit for consumers versus an expert in the domain they will take away from that and deal with that in very different ways and so if you have for example uh let's say you are looking for some legal advice you've got a tree overhanging your garden and there's a there's a legal site where you can just ask a chatbot have I got any rights in this situation it says no uh sorry you, you've not and it turns out that's not the case that person then has been uh, they just take that at face value and say, oh, well, it's, that's a really plausible explanation you've given me, even if it's nonsense. Versus if you're in a business and you're saying your accounting team, you get some assistance from from a model that says, we think the, the uh, what would it be, revenue projection for next year is 100 million pounds. And you go, hang on, that's off by a factor of 10. That can't possibly be right. You know, because you've got the context that that's nonsense and you can drill in. So how do you build differently for the business versus for retail consumers in whatever domain you're working and what are the what are the gotchas there i think it's probably quite an interesting one i think it's very dangerous right because i mean there's legal repercussions you know i mean you could get sued for giving bad advice um i actually think the answer is to try to stay for consumers right? um, stay away from anything that could get you to legal trouble right um i think it's been used a lot for support for example you now you can upload uh all your support documentation and if someone's trying to work out how to i don't know fix their mobile phone or something, probably documentation there. And if it's wrong well advice, it's probably not the end of the world. They'll work it out eventually. Or at some point, I think the base support also use or support AI is their like first level. And then if it doesn't work, eventually you'll get through to a person, which is the same as any sort of you know, knowledge base that people have had in the past. Um, I think you're right with businesses. Um, people, business people are more likely to have a skeptical eye when they look at the results. And, they say, so if something's out by 10x, it's fairly obvious. It's much more dangerous if it's out by 2x. 
you know, and or even 50% or something, um, because that makes, uh, you can still make a really bad decision that affects people's lives, you know, uh, if you're getting into trouble. Um, maybe something like cookies, you know, all of a sudden, you know, we're inundated with cookies. Next time we go to a website, there's a thing saying, hey, we use cookies. People might have cared for the first five days and after, they just don't care. Um, obviously, if you're giving something that can have legal repercussions, you're putting in your terms, services, your privacy policy, whatever, and people won't read it. But I think at some point there'll be an education and people will just get used to the idea that this is an AI opinion, right? It's not, you know, it's not definitive. Um, so maybe just the perception or public perception will change. But maybe in the, in the near term, uh, that needs to be highlighted. You know, so as far as we're aware, based on our knowledge base, da, 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 um, this is the best advice we can give. Um, but also, it's not consistent. You can ask the same question five minutes later, you might get a completely different answer. It's also one of the problems um, with LLMs. So. Yeah, I think it's a really good point there, Rich, in terms of um, you can ask the, the same question of um, the, the large language models and get different, completely different answers within five minutes. Um, and if you ask, you just reword it slightly, but it's the same question, very, very different answers. Um, and go back to your point, which is, you know, really there's a, it comes with a huge caveat that goes with anything that goes back to a client that could be um, or an end user that, that could actually take the information and see it as as the truth um, and and start to make a, a life changing decision potentially on that. You know, I'm thinking more again along the lines of healthcare um, providers. You know, actually if they engage with a um, a chatbot that was actually advising them um, on um, personal well-being, then you know that's that's quite a dangerous area to to skip into. But I don't think you know in terms of the general use, um, most of m- most people have been used to uh, uh, looking up something, how to do something on YouTube or on Google for years. Um, and, and I think most humans now will question what they're seeing to say, is this actually right, or is 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 this you know does this actually apply to me? Is this correct? So we've got that ability to have that sense check. Um, and that's been there for a long time. Um, but it, as Paul quite rightly put, it, it becomes a very different thing when we're offering that as a business out, um, because that's therefore our version of the truth, not the Internet's version of the truth. So, you know, we're, there's a, um, uh, a level that probably if we're in certain industries, I think we'll probably need to um, retain the information and make sure we control any of that information that's going back out particularly in the ones that are sensitive, legal, um, healthcare type of um, scenarios is, is my view. Um, and I think it's got a long way to go. If you think about some of the um, chatbots that we've seen, they they take the information and actually pass the data back out for, for the large language uh, models to, to come and train. Um, and actually, I think that's that could be quite dangerous because actually it's passing personal data and back out into those those models. That's by its very definition of how it works. Actually, if you were to hide that behind a firewall and keep that safe, the data goes in to be retrained, but it stays in in the um, the vendor or the client side of the, the 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 firewall, which then means actually it's training itself, but it's not going back out into the um the the kind of the rest the wider internet which i think is probably a safe way of of protecting their data for now um 
but there's a long way to go to 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 govern that i think perfect thanks everyone for uh, your input on that one so rich we'll come back to you with another one of your questions um one of them was around what is currently missing from ai offerings that you would like to see introduced um do you want to give us a little bit of context behind that one first of all um yeah we, we kind of almost mentioned this earlier on anyway um i've already said the thing that i find most frustrating is just memory um yeah if it gets yeah, it's okay if you already did a session uh, i think specifically about chat gbt here you come back a week later it's completely forgotten uh what you've been doing uh, and that will change and that's not just for chat gpt um for the technical term semantic memory and there's going to be orchestration around that so that would also be for integrated into our applications so if someone's got a tool, I know, a mind mapping tool, right? They're using AI to generate ideas for their mind map. Um, again, it will remember how far you got and all that type of stuff. Um, also, if you're doing coding, um, like you're using AI to generate code, it'd be really good if it fully integrated with your source control and rest GitHub. GitHub. I'm pretty sure that's going to happen. Microsoft will bring that out. They may have done it already, I haven't noticed. Um, but yeah, I just think that will change. And I also think a bit more personalization. Um, I don't like, um, there is a lot of personalization. In fact, if you go to Amazon, it'll recommend things to me based on what I bought in the past and what people who bought those items who are similar to me, don't profile me, et cetera. Um, but, you know, when I use ChatGPT, I've probably got a different expectation than my daughter. Right? She might be doing something for her homework, looking up something. Um, and I think that would be useful that it's just a bit more personalized and it sort of knows what I'm looking for and what my patterns are explicitly. I always like different profiles. I don't know anyone else thinks. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the data that's stored on us as individuals, I think what I'd like to see from AI right now is knowing where the data is is sat and who's using it, and that kind of transparency around the data, um, so that actually we can get more confidence in in what's being stored, where it's being stored, how it's being used. Um, because you're absolutely right, Rich. It's the data that builds the profile on each of us as individuals or as a as an organisation. And where that data sits is the big challenge right now in terms of, as I see, from the compliance and regulation and from a corporate perspective, that's where they're really nervous as well. Their data is their crown jewels. Um, so, you know, they've spent years getting that data um, either on you know client data and their buying habits or, or spending habits or you know their own organization structure and so understanding where that data is going and how it's being used is something I think um, we'd all like to to see a little bit more that's my my view I poured in what your thoughts are I think uh, so we the, the most daily use I get out of AI and the team gets out of AI at the minute is probably GitHub Copilot, so it's anything that's doing code support and completion. Um, and all of these things suffer from a lack of memory, but also a lack of context. So there's only so much of your code that it's fitting into its context window before it starts giving you suggestions, which is where you end up with uh, suggestions that don't make sense. So it doesn't know that you have some function somewhere else in your code base that you could be calling. It'll just spaff out either an assumed one, which doesn't exist, or it'll, it'll write another function that's analogous to it. And in a large code base, if you're an engineer, you suddenly get a block of code appear in front of you. It's plausible looking. You go, all right, well, let's let's go with that. And it puts more pressure on that code review process to make sure that that's a sensible approach to take. And you're going to see a higher volume of that kind of PR coming in because it's easier to make more code. 
because that's what these tools are helping you do at the minute. So I think that's anything that helps the the code generation side of things become better will help engineering teams. In general, I think the lack of reasoning support in these models is is a is a big one. And and in general, just the way that these models will confidently make stuff up or hallucinate um, in ways that are unpredictable. How you tackle that is going to be pretty interesting. And that's probably the one of the bigger risk areas as well for doing anything in a regulated space with this. If it's making up um, uh, rules or if it's if it's claiming things that aren't actually based on fact, how do you how do you address that? And I think there are techniques around it. Um, I saw a presentation by uh, a chap from Broadridge on a on a product called Bond GPT that you it was made for bond traders, but it had a very particular way of turning your prompt into a query, like a structured query language, uh, not an actual SQL thing. It was some other proprietary of uh, that pulled data and then transformed it back out and gave it back to the user. But the query generation part of it was really all that it was being used for. So you could be a bit more confident that the numerical aspects of it were correct. That style of, of technique feels like it's probably one of the better support. And, and generally, I think just anything on what best practices look like for the full life cycle of trying to implement any of these techniques into a business or into a project. Because all the different models, uh, we, we got things like Hugging Face that let you see a variety of models all in one place and play with them and deploy them in different ways. But what does the life cycle look like from I've got an idea to validating it, to getting it into prod, to seeing if that model's drifting. And if you want to make updates to the model, how do you demonstrate it's doing the same thing it was before? What's that AI DevOps cycle look like? I think there's the beginnings of guidance there, but uh, if after a year anyone can claim, oh, this is the best practice, I would be surprised. Perfect. Thanks, everyone. Um, Martin, we'll come to you next. So the first question you wanted to ask was um, how are leaders obviously champion AI? Um, you also wanted to ask, there was like a sub-question off the back of that, where um, which was related to how leaders are preparing for the cultural and organisational changes required for large-scale AI deployment. Um, you just want to give us a, con- a little bit of context behind that one, first of all? Yeah, sure. Thank you, Rachel. I mean, I think... I kind of half alluded to this earlier in that um, today what we see with a lot of the AI solutions that are available to us are predominantly task-based. Um, and if you look at actually, if we take a step back and look at how work flows through an organization today, um, they are, you know, there's there's individual and elements of tasks that can be replaced using AI and they, they assist the organization. That's great. A lot of that is, is back office stuff and, and that you know that's the that's the level of automation that we've seen and and the rpa providers have done a great job of doing that um a lot of that mundane repetitive work but actually um as ai grows uh, and, and and under that banner is automation and lots of other tool sets as well to allow that and as paul mentioned earlier you know right from the very start of um work coming into an organization and how it flows through the different departments um, and the impact it can make before it then resides as the system of record i think you know that's that's the that's the growth opportunity for um a lot of the ai organizations and software providers today um co-pilot with microsoft trying to do a great job of doing that as well to help people um, understand that in more detail and as they do you know how are the organizations structured to to change that i mean at the moment there's a big shift in the way in which people work 
Um, so the next generation of, of workers are not necessarily looking to do a full-time role for the next 20, 30 years and retire um, in the way that maybe um, pre uh, previous generations have. Um, the future of work is is more around the gig economy, the, the cloud-based um, resource um, options, which means people have the ability to come in and deliver a task or a piece of work for an organization. For me, not that long ago, that was that was a consultancy job, that was a contract job, that was a project. Um, in the future, I think people are actually looking towards the gig economy to, to be able to deliver just tasks where humans are brilliant. Um, but either side of the task is the product, the workflow. And, and that's where I think, you know, we can rely on some of the software tools to continue that workflow through an organization. Um, I think I, I read um, recently there's a 40% of the US market now is, is, is based on the gig economy. Um, so that shift is, is happening. How are organizations preparing for that and the adoption of AI across their, their workflow? Um, I think that's a, a really big change for organizations to pick up and i don't think people are necessarily ready for it certainly haven't seen that in the in the uk yet um i don't know what uh or you what you've seen um I, I wonder if there's a scale difference here between the bigger firms are more likely to have had headspace to start thinking about the implications of large portions of the workforce maybe being doing doing their role differently and whether you still need that number of people to achieve the outcome that you're achieving because typically when you've got smaller firms, you're all already doing a bunch of different jobs at once anyway. Um, so it becomes an augmentation thing. You become more effective, but I don't think it, it eliminates role. Whereas in a, you know, a massive consultancy or a massive uh, accounting firm or, or a bank or anything else, there probably are things that, that are more apt to, it's people doing tasks on a regular basis. But the thing that they're valued for is task output rather than their institutional knowledge. So those, I, I, I would be surprised if anyone is prepared for this, really. Certainly from a, from an organizational, from a, the implications of how you structure a team. We, we, we already kind of know this because the, um, if you look at how office space has been handled on the back of the COVID pandemic, there was a, a marked change very quickly in how people were using offices. And that's had knock on ramifications across the board in terms of property prices, people bringing back to work uh, orders or not. And that's over a very short time period, this fairly modest thing that could have gone back to normal has changed the way people work in general. This feels like it's a factor of tenfold bigger change than that. And we couldn't even cope with the office stuff. So I wonder uh, how you even, especially when things are moving so quickly, how do you prepare? Or will we always be lagging um, in terms of the organization, organizational structures that are needed to make this effective and keep people motivated because one of the things that people will not be able to come to work for as much in that kind of gig economy world is having colleagues that you sit next to and you go to the pub with and you you know a stable group of people that you're socializing with if that pool of people is varying week by week or you're never meeting each other and all of your outputs are being scheduled and, and mediated and put together by LLMs and other AI tools, that seems pretty dystopian for me. So maybe we'll pick something, we'll choose to be less efficient, to be happier in those org structures rather than see just this horrible mill 
of, uh, of folks coming in, doing a thing and disappearing. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with that, actually, Paul. And, and um, is it, it really is interesting to see what happened to the culture of organisations, right? By you know, by using technology, you, you can just completely um, destroy the culture in one way, shape, or form. And actually, it's really interesting after the COVID pandemic of people returning back to the office to actually collaborate um again um and um i don't suppose it's too far dissimilar to that um but rich i, I don't know what you've you've seen at, at the moment um i think there's all kinds of different like combinations or, or where this could play out um i also think i know people in america and quite often people have a main job and they'll have a sidekick you know and i think that's much more encouraged whereas in the uk you, you normally get a contract that says you work for us and that's it you know and if you do something else on the outside you might even earn your IP, you know, you can be doing do it for someone else. Um, and what Paul was saying is that, you know, in a small company or smaller company, you tend to do lots of different jobs. And I've been involved in startups where I literally wear a different hat or have a different business card, depending on who I'm talking to, right? And that's very typical. It's, it's what you have to do. Um, but that's a different case from, say, your accountant or somebody who's a bookkeeper, you know, and they do exactly the same job, but they do it for lots of different people. Um, so I think that's going to change. Um, again, it's coming back to what we were talking about before, everything's changing so quickly and there will definitely be a, uh, a social uh, impact. Um, AI is going to replace some people, but AI still needs to be told what to do, right? You know, and the quality of the input, uh, garbage in, garbage out, still true now as it ever was, you know, so you don't need to know how to use these tools. As something that's always happened, you know, like an industrial revolution, agricultural revolution, you know, if you suddenly have a tractor instead of an ox, someone still needs to drive a tractor, you know, or, or whatever. Um, the COVID thing is really interesting. And yes, yeah, definitely um, a good parallel or, or comparison. But it has changed the culture of the way we work. And I think it will just become more normal for people to have, just be more independent. I always say, you know, gear can't be work for 22 clients. Um, and it might be like one-off work, you know, just like, a particular project, so it could be something that's done regularly. Again, the bookkeeper, they do it once a month or once a quarter. Or you've got a graphic designer who comes and does some stuff, but you've got a new marketing campaign or something. Um, and they know that at some point it'll even out. Um, but how, I mean, for us, we we have a bunch of people, uh, some UK-based, some offshore, um, and they are independent mainly. Um, so we don't get to meet up them very often because they're, you know, several time zones away. Um, but that's not new. That's not because of AI. I mean, I've been working with overseas teams for the best part of 20 years. Um, so I'm not sure how much that changes. Yeah, I don't think it really does in my, in my company or companies like mine. Um, but they're all, again, it's the unknown unknowns. We're not sure. Yeah, so it's going to change. But I don't see it as a massive problem. I think it may require adaptable. And, you know, COVID came out of the blue, even though it probably shouldn't have done. There's enough sci-fi movies warded of pandemics and yet, you know, we were surprised when a pandemic happened. Um, but I think we've got to adapt. I'm not too worried about that. I think there's more scary scenarios. Um, Elon Musk had a recent AI summit in London, where he's been interviewed by um, Prime Minister, said that at some point in the future, people won't have to work. It'll be an option. Um, and this is, you know, proper, I don't know, big bubble kind of scenario or, you know, brave new world. I don't know how you function as a society if you're not having to work. And, and even what that looks like, you know, we're a dominant capitalist culture, um, you know, all this communism, um, so in China and other places. I just don't know how society functions, but people don't have to, to get out of bed to go and earn some money, you know, to pay the rent or the mortgage and buy food, et cetera. Um, I mean, that's not a 
next year problem. And it's probably not even a problem for my daughter, but it might be a problem for her children if she has children in the future, you know, so... And still okay. probably doesn't quite believe that can happen. Perfect. Thanks, everyone, for your input. Uh, just with timings-wise, I think we'll leave it at that. Um, so that was today's Evolution Exchange podcast. Our thanks to all of our guests for joining us today and sharing their views with us.